The sales robots have taken over, and they're decimating deals left and right, destroying them right in their tracks. On the AI for Sales podcast, our mission is to empower everyday sellers to embrace AI superpowers to build new bridges and crush quota. Dr. Joel Lebon said it best in the AI for Sales book, in sales, time kills deals. In AI for Sales, AI kills time. Join our hosts as we learn from the C-suite of the world's fastest growing companies about how you can leverage AI today to transform your sales revenue engine while being the best version of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another AI for Sales podcast. I have to admit, we came off the best podcast that I've had in 150 episodes yesterday. So not to set the bar too high, but um, I do have Danny Reed with me here. Danny is from Chicago. He lives right near O'Hare. He is the director of sales for a really cool company called Metadata that works with organizations around ad placements and being able to tie uh, paid media back to CRM without a lot of Excel spreadsheet shenanigans going on. So um, he, we're going to drill down into his, his use, his team's use, the company's use of artificial intelligence today. And I'm so excited to have Danny here. Danny warned me that I'm following the best one you've had so far. So uh, I, did not, today, I figured let's just do that live <laughs> so that we can see you sweat. Uh, your company's website, metadata.io, correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. So check that out while we're talking because when I opened up the site, it's very well done. And I think you'll see how cool of a company we're talking about. Before we get there, um, Danny, I, I, I love to ask so that our audience gets to know you kind of where were, what was your passion when you were a kid? What did you love to do? You know, where'd you grow up? Help us connect with you as a person and then we'll get into the business AI stuff. Yeah, I grew up, um, I went to Grays Lake schools, which if you are in Chicago land area, it's about 45 minutes North of the city. Um, and then when I was a kid, I played uh, football, basketball, but then I, I really got into uh, competitive gaming back in the day. Um, and so I've got a couple like fun stories from that time of we, me and a couple of friends started this company that hosted tournaments that teams could come on and play like, Call of Duty matches like against each other for prize money in like a traditional like tournament structure. And um, this is back in like 2007. Um, and we grew it to about 150,000 users, which was just crazy back then. Um, had a partnership with Machinima, who I think uh, no longer exists as of two years ago. But we were, if not the first, definitely in the top uh, five of the first partner channels on Twitch, which was then Justin TV um, of live streaming our tournaments. So I was both like helping on that angle. And then I also played like competitively in those tournaments. And I'd say like, if you know basketball or, or baseball, like I was the equivalent of a G League player or like a double A player, triple A player. So I never quite made it, but all those guys like Ninja and Nade Shot and people that you might see on like Sports Illustrated, like I grew up playing with most of those guys because that was, it was such a small community back then in the early days. And it's eventually where I wanted to take my career, but um, that didn't end up working out and I, I chose the tech route instead. But that was definitely a big like obsession of mine when I was younger. Wow. Well, that that does help connect the dots because how your brain works in terms of being competitive, leveling up. And, you know, now you get to play in a digital asset world where people are posting. And, you know, if you 
if you push the wrong media and the wrong message on the wrong channel, then you don't get the kinds of ROI that you're looking for. So it, it kind yeah. of makes sense. Those two things go together. I, yeah, it was like I was I was looking at jobs of like going to work for riots or like UFC or some of the like Twitch and like they were mimicking a lot of like the early Silicon Valley companies like the Google office and perks and like, um, you know, ping pong tables, beer taps, all that stuff. So I was like, oh, shit, there's companies out here that like provide this. And then like when I was like applying, they needed people that had like business experience to come in and tell them what to do. And I'm coming out of college. So there was, it was really hard to find a job back then. Um, but then I was like, okay, what, like, are there any other companies outside of this industry that like do stuff like this? And I found a company called steel brick, which was in the suburbs of Chicago. At first I was interviewing with them, got to my last interview with the COO and that week they got bought by Salesforce, which is now Salesforce CPQ. They obviously couldn't tell me that, but they're like, yeah, hey, we, uh, you know, can't, we can't tell you why, but we can't continue the interview process, but we really liked you. So we're going to introduce you to our sister company, which was then G2 Crowd, now G2, the software review site. So I started my career there and worked there for four years. Um, in the early days, we had um, a little under a million ARR and what I think I was employee 30, 40-ish. And then um, over those four years, raised... A little over 100 million ARR went to 50 million, and then um, I think it was around 400, 500 employees. So that was like my sort of MBA in sales is like being part of that crazy growth and um, being a part of the building blocks of it. And then um, uh, I ended up selling that product to my current CEO, Gil, about four years ago. Got him connected, partnered with the team, and then eventually um, I got the startup itch again and, and wanted to go back to the early stage and and join the team as I think like uh, employee ten or fifteen full time. So that's a, cool. a small summary of my my last eight years. Well, I know a few people in Chicago. One's name is Kerry Kleeman, and I believe he was the CRO of Steelbrick at the time. So he was probably executing that transaction. Um, and, yep. and then his brother Craig Kleeman is uh, the self-proclaimed world's greatest cold caller. So if you ever meet Craig at walking around Chicago, he wears the YouTube Bono sunglasses everywhere he goes, rolls up his um, pant legs and his jeans up to, you know, about three inches, and he's got a look that you read about. So, uh, And he <laughs> knows Bono personally because of a story with his brother. So pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> Small world. Um, talk to me a little bit about, at a high level, you know, you've seen a little bit of AI now. Generative AI is obviously jumping off the shelves. Um, what do you think AI could have the ability to solve at, a, at the highest possible level, right? What are you excited about that, if pointed at the right thing, could change the world? In the context of sales or probably? Uh, whichever comes to mind. Uh, I was thinking sales first. Like, for my job, we have... Um, by no means like uh, uh, crazy like chat GPT type AI. We have an AI that um, analyzes data, builds models on top of it, and then we use that to apply like budgets towards our customers, like top performing campaigns and in, in, in ad channels. But by no means is it like um, a big part of the product today. It's going to be. So like one thing we did, and I'll get into like how I think it'll affect 
my job and, and jobs of sellers is, um, you know, we ran, I think, 150 million through uh, our products of ad spend in the last year. And we, we released this um, copywriter that we partnered with writer.com and we trained it using all the data from the 150 million that went through use the top 5% of top performing copy and then use that as our foundation and then give customers access to prompt it to create their own copy. So for marketers, they're constantly like trying to figure out what, what verb do I change? What's the brand message? Like, what do I put in these ads to make them pop and make it compelling? So they can come in prompted and then we'll change it according to best practices format for them to then use in their ads as like an example uh, for how marketers can use that and using the journey GPT, uploading creative and then creating variations and tests for what they can use to push out. Now from a sales standpoint, like it's it's all the administrative tasks. Like selling is not going away. You're not going to, um, I don't think it's really gonna have a big role in how a sales process works. I think it's gonna just make sellers more efficient. The outbound emailing, the calling, the follow-ups mid-sale, the procurement process. Um, anything that is you hands on keyboard, not talking and not and not selling um, should have a way to get better and make it faster for you. So that way you're not stuck doing 30, 40% of your job on admin tasks that you know you shouldn't really be spending your time on because it's, um, it's a waste of money at the end of the day based on what most sellers get paid. So I think that's have that vision I've never really seen a product I'm like super impressed with. Like I, I've looked at like a bunch of seed companies that are building on top of AI. I've looked at existing that are bringing AI in. Like Gong has like a summary feature now where they summarize your calls and put it in format. It's like, it's so long you can't even put it in Salesforce because it's mm -hmm. too many characters. So there's a ton of work to do over the next year. I think they'll make some strides, but um, AI broadly, like I, it's we're worrying about the future and, and rightfully so once they start to figure out this um uh the um uh the room temperature um piece that scientific discovery they made recently of um it's not conductors it's um something else uh where if they can get it to operate at room temperature then quantum AI starts to become possible. And that's where I think things get really scary, where right now it can train itself on data, but it doesn't have the processing power it needs to really do all the crazy, scary, like futuristic things that you read about all the time. But I think that is coming in the next probably 10 years. But within those 10 years, I think we'll, we'll see bits of progress as we trend towards that. And I think it'll- Very interesting. I had someone from assembly.ai on the call recently, and their gong competitor, if you will, and their claim to fame is, he thought that the world was going to commoditization, right? Voice to text, it's quick, it's accurate. So what next? Well, this company will prompt you, here's the next three actions that came out of that meeting. And then we talked about the future and in the very near term, they're gonna be able to take all that text, create your PowerPoint presentation that's customized, leveraging PowerPoints you've used in the past, and then email you and say, hey, we listened to your call with Danny. Here's the first three slides that are personalized based on their 10Q and the conversation you had. 
uh, would you like me to send it? And then you just say yes. And that, that to me is when you start to have a closed loop system where the AI is really just there, you can start to see rep productivity going up. You know, right now, what is it? 32% of our reps time is actually spent selling, I think is the number. Imagine if you could get a double out of that, you know, right. to change the, change the world. That's what he wants it to do and where he wants it to get to. The story of all this is, is it contextual? Is it the way I would type this? Is it the way I would think about it? If it's not, it's still a time saver that the bulk of it is out and now I go edit it. So it still helps and it's that progress. But um, I haven't seen anybody do this well enough where like I can just hit send. It's like, okay, it'll help me get started with it. I finish it. And then I think once it gets to that point where it really can do the finishing that's for you, level. that's yeah. when we really start to see some Right. Every founder is going to pitch it like, oh, it'll be here next month or next year. And it's like, I I'm not, I don't see it right now, but I, I would love to be surprised, right? I'd love to yes. have more. So while we're on this topic, I love to share in the weekly newsletter different AIs that I've come across. Is there anything that you've seen that you're, you know, that is starting to approximate where you see it headed? Um. Best friends, his uncle is building an AI company, and his his original idea was um, for video surveillance. So, if you think of like prisons or hospitals or places where you have to keep people confined, and the video is what triggers a response. Like, you can remove the need for a human like watching that all day and have a system do it for you and then warn you when something happens that you should be aware of that's like one example of like i think a niche use case and for like most i think people are doing a decent job of this like find your niche and find the way that you can train your model to help it don't go broad because you've just got so much competition and um like, uh, well, the the GPT of the future is going to be owned by big tech. Like, you're not going to compete there. So don't try and build a competitor. Try and build something that is unique to your space that is not trained correctly on what it needs to be trained on. So anybody finding use cases like that that have a specific, like, action and purpose, I think they're going to go somewhere with that. Either get bought by a bigger company to bring that type of solution in-house. Um you also have like the Databricks acquisition of there's a race for companies to get the infrastructure to start building this. And that's a really hot space at the moment. Um, but it's probably a little late at this point. Like if I were to think about it as a seller to go in and try to get seed equity and, and join that, I think most of those companies are already in their scaling motion and they're already fundraising and things like that. So I more look for the the point solutions with, with AI. Yeah, as love the, it. Most I remember when a guy named Coca Sexton came in, came out, Inside View was the name of the company. It plugged into LinkedIn at first. And he was kind of, when I was in the Bay Area, he was the father of using LinkedIn properly. And then Jamie Shanks and a handful of people became like the experts on LinkedIn. And at first, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, it's me. But, you know, it's just for recruiting. And then it became part of everyone's sales process over the last decade or two, and it's become interesting. I believe AI is in a similar place, just like the internet. Oh, what are we going to do with the internet? Yep. Sounds cool. Um, what source are you leveraging to find out about AI and where you might be able to leverage it for your advantage in the sales motion as a sales director at your company? 
LinkedIn usually. That's where I'll find people posting, sharing things, and then really just my network of, of people. Um, I'll have ideas and share with them, like the um, uh, the using creative images through Midjourney GPT. Like I was talking about that with one of my friends, and then introduced him to our top agency partner, and they like built a product out of it. So. Um, uh, network and LinkedIn mostly. Um, I'm open to resources if you have good ones. Well, I bring it up because the co-host of this podcast, Joe Papa, is the CEO of a company called Trueversity. And he wrote a book called AI in Business, if I'm not mistaken, on the short form title. And for the last 12 to 14 months, they've been building a membership opportunity. There's a training program and a membership program. And, you know, for starting at two grand a year up to 25 grand a year for companies, people can come in and take classes on AI and help people get outside of their shell to figure out how do I use it for strategy? What about digital advertising? What about SEO? What about, you know, you, he's got 20 modules pre-built and a group and, and everything was built. Um, right. So I've had a handful of companies ask me for that kind of service. And now Joe's delivering it. So I, I think it's going to be an interesting value proposition. Yeah, I'd be willing to check that out. Like one, uh, don't don't steal my idea. It's not my idea. It's not original. People are already doing it. But um, like using uh, GPT, I saw like right when it came out, there was this great series of like, um, I can't remember the, the gentleman's name, but on LinkedIn, he would post each prompt of how he, he uh, through SEO to have traffic dedicated towards the site, he used it to have it generate the site, and then he started giving it budget for how to promote the site on Facebook, and then he would tell it to tell him what to do and where to move money for the most profitable results. It's fascinating. I think there's um, that's probably the most interesting uh, way I would use it today, like creatively as like an entrepreneur to go start something. Um, SEO is very hard to figure out, but when you have a, a bit of a cheat code to do it faster, I think there's a ton of people doing it right now. Uh, well, and so you just tripped the standard wire, Danny, that um, that's the highest bar set of the speaker yesterday talked about because we talked in this vein, and he said, have you seen the movie Oppenheimer? And I did. My son wanted to see it. I went and saw yeah. it. And so he said, think of Oppenheimer as a person or Steve Jobs or really smart people who can invent things that change the future of the world. And he said his view around AI, having been in the space for 20 years, Columbia University guy, is that there'll be more, not Oppenheimers as a good example, but creative people that can build things that are point. You can go say, hey, if, if I were to hire the top CMO, what questions would, would I be asking them? And what questions would they ask of the business? Where would they put their marketing spend? Um, so he believes that there's going to be more inventors and creators than in the history of the world that are able to come up with game-changing kind of ideas. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. Like, I, I run our agency program at Metadata, and, you know, a traditional marketing agency is your uh, 
you're a director of marketing, CMO, you need a bunch of shit done, you don't have time to go hire people, and you need somebody that already knows the fundamentals, you hire an agency, they give you the manpower or woman power to then help you um, uh, run your execution, right? And like agencies are in for a world of hurt if they don't start to figure out how to automate what they do. That's not just humans on keyboards, right? So like that's a pitch I give them all the time and train them about how to use that as a way to punch above their pay grade when they're pitching against other agencies for business. Um, so 100%. And then to your point, like it's so much easier now to go create your own business. It's like the, um, I don't know if this is the perfect analogy, but it's, it's sort of like the internet um, was like lakes, like bodies of water everywhere. Everybody's kind of building their own thing. They're in different places, they're in different countries. It's not all connected. AI is sort of the ocean layer of that, of like, okay, there's all this water out there and there's all this, just get access to the ocean and everything as part of it. That's sort of what AI does and contextualizes everything and puts it in the format that you need. So it, it definitely is the next shift just as large as the internet was for us. Not possible without the internet, it needed it, but definitely in terms of our industry shifting. Yeah, love the next big um, I'm curious on your agency partner side, you know, when I was with Ring Central and I was running a global BDR team and SDR team around the world, we generated, you know, millions of dollars of leads for them. And so you track the MQL, the SQL, the conversion rates, what are the touches in between? The thing I was frustrated most with is as you get to a bigger team, there's all different skills and, you know, it, not every BDR is created equal, right? And you can train till you're blue in the face, but if their belief system underneath it all isn't there, that they can be a good seller, then they're not going to be a good seller. What I'm very interested about is tools that are conversation AI, like a company called Vicodia out of Florida. So imagine when I went in and we put in call leads in under 30 seconds, touch them 12 to 14 times before you downgrade them. We, we put in a system that converted from 8% all the way up to 18% within 90 days. So, and there's probably more that we left on the table, right? Yeah. Maybe that could get to a 24% or something like that. But what if you could get from eight to 24% and do it powered by AI that's having these phone conversations at scale? A human might get one objection and go, okay, Danny, no problem. Uh, good luck. And then they'll downgrade you as a lead. And the AI is like, oh, well, Danny, I must have caught you on the wrong side of the bed today. You know, and make a joke of it and get through three or four objections before they downgrade you as a lead. Is there any referrals you might offer that I call? Maybe somebody in your network. So think of programming the AI is going to be different than programming humans. Here's my question for you as an agency partner. Do you see a need for marketing agencies to deliver that to the market or do they stop at an MQ intelligence? I think, um, do they need it? No, I think who's going to gain more market share. The large agencies that are out there, um, you know, they're the incumbents. They're the ones that are going to get, you know, their, um, their, uh, you know, dinner snatched uh, over time. Like they have such a hold on enterprise companies because of the resources they have to, to help them. But for any like small business, market agency, like, I mean, there's 
100,000 plus agencies just in, in the B2B world. So there's tons. Um, so yes, they will have to implement that. Like um, I was trying to follow like what that product does. So I'll give you another example of the way I think it, it helps too, which is we were using something called, I think it was sales room or, or, or deal room or something like that. Instead of doing Zoom, you log into this and then it has all the functionality. But then as you're going through having a conversation, and something gets brought up, it'll pop up something that's a piece of content related to what the prospect said. So you now know how to handle it, whether it's an objection or it's a product question or it's this, it'll give you those real-time insights. So for agencies, like the bulk of their work, you think about it just like a seller, like you, they have to be good marketers. They have to know where their value is. How do you like, create a strategy around it. How is the content compelling towards this problem that you solve? And then most of the work that they do is, you know, a ton of writing, a ton of copywriting. Um, like most people don't know this and there's no reason you should, unless you work in ads. I've done it a hundred times. It takes you like 45 minutes to launch one with one ad type. So for us, like that's our big trigger is like, do you want to be spending all your time just setting up these campaigns and hours and hours and hours? And so that's what we automate and that's what we're bringing the agencies. But yeah, apply this to creative, apply this to copy, apply it to daily work. Like at every step, you should be finding ways to do things more efficiently. And if you can do it, especially as a small agency, you can grow really quickly and you can make some serious money. Um, my top agency partner, Ani, he was a former customer, started his own agent um, growing and has uh, about two dozen customers. So it's possible. It's just, do you have the, the work ethic and the time to invest in learning it and, and then executing it? Wow. If I were to title our conversation, it'd be eating the other agency's dinner. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought that's what you said. Really Pretty much. Much. Like, yeah. I mean, um, it, it, and for us, it's just a matter of awareness and getting that out there. But um, uh, yeah, not just us, but apply this again to any any of the things we've talked about. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so the last question: then, Your friend's agency has added twenty five yep. jobs, and to me, that's AI is part of the way they do it, probably to create the content to make certain decisions. And so the, the big question that I've been asking everyone on this podcast for two and a half years is what impact do you believe from where you sit will this have on um, Minimal for the next 10 years. I think like when we go sell this sometimes, if we don't frame it properly, people think we're going to go replace a whole team. And it's like, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to come in and make your team more efficient. If you buy an AI tool and the team percentage overall gets efficient, that team's salaries and OTEs are already part of your financial model. You don't fire people that are more efficient. You promote them. You know what I mean? So like, there's like, I was talking to, a client that I won't name, but they have an internal, like, um, I don't know if there's actual rewards that come with it, but if you find like automation or AI tools and implement them in your BU, 
you get like um, either recognition or praise or I don't know if there's financial incentives for them. So companies that are doing that are, are smart. They're like trying to get their employees to find things to make them more efficient, not like I think the cynical view of this is go find your your AI that's going to replace you for your job. It's not how it works. You always need a human. Um, I think that conversation changes a lot when the um, quantum AI comes out, how much power it's going to have and what it can do. Um, but I think until then, uh, until you know, science solves that problem with uh, oh, semiconductors, that's what I was trying to think of, room temperature semiconductors of like, some lab found a way to do this. It was questionable if it was true or not. And now every lab around the world is trying to replicate it. And they found like the way it works and how to do it molecularly. But nobody's found a way to actually like make it work the, the way that that data was saying it would. So now it's sort of a race to who can figure that out first. And once that happens, then you have the infrastructure instead of, you know, uh, the processing power it has today, think about it a thousand X and that's how much like information retrieval access and prompting you'll be able to do. Once that happens, no fucking clue. You know, I think um, there's going to yeah. be a lot of changes. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a great conversation because to your point, let's say you've got three digital people or marketing operations or whatever that team is. Maybe you have 30, maybe you have 15. If they can now be more efficient in their job, you've already got those funds allocated. Sure, you might, hey, the economy's down. We need to take some cost-cutting measures. Let's reduce the team by 10%. Got it. But if I, if I, I'm not just going to go cut a department and say one person can do this. No, I'm going to say, well, this is great. Now we can expand into new segments. We, right? CEOs, founders, the market needs companies to grow, not just take 100%. 10 times yeah. I think the only argument against this is like, um, because of the market dynamics right now, there's, you know, it's no longer the growth model um, and it's the profit too. And I think there is an argument to be made there to cut jobs to increase profits. That's why the area you see it is in the big enterprises where you're maximizing share, shareholder value. But for startups, it's, it's growth mode still, like profitability, you have to get to raise the money, but the goal is still to grow. So mid-market, smaller companies, AI is, I think, helpful. Larger companies where there's a ton of to it, once it gets to that point, I really don't think there's many tools that are replacing teams yet. But um, yeah, I think we're a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did some research for an event that I participated in and talked on a segment on ticker, ticker news. And um, the math that a couple of the analysts are saying is 90 million jobs will be lost in the next five years due to AI worldwide out of 3.2 billion, but 80 million will be added. And that's, I believe that, right? Because there's certain types of jobs that are more prone to it. But just like your friend's company that grew to 25 people, they probably could have grown to five people. But if AI didn't exist and the types of automation we're seeing, they might not have grown as fast. Yeah. So I think that for everyone that gets lost, there's another one that gets created. My inner, so working at G2, you know, that company was started as a um, competitor to Gartner and Forrester. 
because when Godard and the founding team, they had started um, Big Machines, which sold to Oracle as Oracle CPQ. They started Steelbrook as Salesforce CPQ. And the first go-around, like, they just got absolutely shafted by the analysts because they couldn't pay them enough money. Cool. You've been wrong a lot. <laughs> I really don't believe yeah. you much. But I hear your point of, yes, it will add jobs. Um, but it, it makes me wonder if it's going to be, like, you know, STEM jobs, like AI infrastructure jobs that the bulk of that $80 million is created out of versus taking away sort of existing jobs as we know them, which moves us into a further world where tech is predominantly the most available job source. Um, I think that's definitely something yeah, that, that will happen point. over the next so five years. If you're graduating college and you're listening to this podcast, tech is a good place to be in the coming year. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a if you're a younger seller, I did this on, on JB's podcast and I was I was really surprised actually at how many people reached out. But if you are a uh, seller who's trying to make it in your career and you're in the beginning, text me. My number is 847-833-1185. I like to do a lot of like mentoring for younger sellers, help them navigate the industry because there's a lot of um, dark rooms that people don't like to talk about and just how this industry functions. So um, if you're somebody that is seriously wanting to improve, um, text me, call me. I'm happy to spend 10, 15 awesome. minutes with you. Well, Danny, it's been really fun talking with you today. If people want to reach you, metadata.io is the website. What would be the best way to reach with other than your cell phone? Obviously, it's probably a good way that I was just shared. Yeah. Uh, how else would they reach you? Uh, LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. All right. It's Danny Reed at metadata.io. Thanks so much for sharing the perspectives that you have in all the work that you've done at such cool companies. And I love how it started where you grew an audience to 150,000 people in the gaming world. Uh, not a lot of people have had that experience. So pretty cool. Yeah, thanks for having right, me. Everybody. Thanks for joining another AI for Sales podcast. We'll catch you next time. Hey, you made it this far in your AI for sales journey. Want to augment your sales growth? First, leave us a review and then visit www.scalex.ai to claim your free strategy session today.